And the word of the Lord says this. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may all be seated. Good morning. It's good to be in God's house again together as we were not able to gather last week together, though, uh, in this building. Hopefully you joined us online. So it's good to be back uh, together this morning, Uh, even though it's just as cold this morning as it was last week. There's no snow, so praise God for that. But it's good to see everyone. Uh, Just two announcements, then we're going to jump into God's holy word this morning. The first announcement is this. Uh, On Wednesday evenings at 6 o'clock, there's a prayer service, a time for fellowship. We'll come together, we'll eat. Uh, Then we spend uh, a large amount of time in prayer and then uh, a Bible study at the end. So please mark your calendars uh, every Wednesday night for our prayer service at 6 o'clock. Please join us for that. Also be praying this afternoon. This afternoon is the first time we'll be able to gather with the youth search committee to begin to uh, put together uh, a job description. And then we'll put that online to begin to have a uh, search uh, for a new youth pastor. So pray for that committee. Be praying again for uh, that person that God would have for us. So again, a prayer for the committee this afternoon at 4 o'clock we meet. And then Wednesday evening. Uh, we will gather together for uh, Wednesday night prayer service. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into God's holy word this morning. God, I'm grateful to gather again with your people in this building. Though, God, we know that uh, the building is not the church, it's the gathering your people that uh, make us the church. And so as we gather as your church this morning, uh, I pray that you would use Uh, your word uh, and our fellowship and our devotion to you to bring more and more salvation through justification and sanctification. God, I pray for us uh, in this room that know you, trust you, and obey you, that you would continue to work out in us our salvation with much fear and trembling, as Paul says. And for those that are in this room and they do not know you as their Lord and Savior this morning, I pray, God, through the Holy Spirit, that that he would draw them to you. And they would surrender their will and their life over to your perfect, loving care. And they would understand, God, it's through you and you alone that they will have life and life everlasting. And now, God, we come and we humble ourselves to you. We continue to plead uh, to you on behalf of uh, this uh, youth search committee that you would pour out your wisdom on them. Even this afternoon as we gather and begin to talk and discuss and put together a job description, we pray, God, that first and foremost, that it would glorify you and that this person would 
glorify you, that they would know you, trust you, and obey you. And then out of that, God, you would bring the right person that would love and serve our youth in this church, that they would, their desire would to know you and to make you known, that they would uh, teach our students what it means to uh, love you all with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, God, that that would compel our students to go into a lost world and to do what you said for us to do, to make disciples. I pray that disciples would be made here first uh, in our church and that disciples would be sent out into a lost world. So begin to, God, prepare that person for us and us for that person. And you would use uh, all of that to glorify you in the lives of students. And now we come, God, to this portion of the service that we look to your word, your inspired word, your infallible word, and your inerrant word. That, God, it's the most living and active thing on the planet, your words. And your words, God, give us life. It's through your word and your word alone that we have life. So I pray for that this morning for us as we look here, as we come near the end of Esther. As we've been looking at your sovereignty, of you're in control of all things at all times, working all things out for your glory and for our good. I pray again this morning that would be true for us. As we look here at Esther chapter 8, we would see your great salvation. How your great, great salvation still remains for us today as it did for Esther and her people thousands and years ago, uh, years ago, and that would continue to play, play it forward for us here this morning. So lead us, guide us, we humble ourselves before your holy word, use it in a mighty way. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Here we are in Esther chapter 8, next week we'll uh, try to, at my best, cover chapter 9 and 10 and we'll be finished. We started the book of Esther back in the fall, uh, then went into Advent, then we had uh, some snow days, but we will finish um, by God's grace and goodness to us next week, the book of Esther. What we've been looking at in the book of Esther is this. Esther has been written, this is one of, uh, uh, one of the books that God has never mentioned. But even though God is never mentioned in the book, we can see God's hand throughout the book, and God's plan throughout the book, and God's sovereignty throughout the book and what we've been looking at is the sovereignty of God that even though we may not always see God God is always active his hand is always in every situation and what we believe to be true is not only is God's hand active in all things but God's hand is always active in our lives as I said in my prayer for his glory and for our good so everything that we go through has to pass through the hands of God, the, the, the sovereign hands of God, who rules supreme on his throne today, even when it looks like he's absent. You may be here in, in your situation this morning, and it feels like God is absent. But we look to God's word and God's word alone, that we know that God is always present. We looked at that ad, in our Advent series, that what it even the name means, even Emmanuel, who we celebrate at Christmas, means this, that God is with us. And do we believe that this morning, church? Do we believe that God is with us and that God is sovereign, working all things out for his glory and for our good? Now, it's so easy for us to come to Esther because we know how Esther ends. We were given the story of Esther over 
thousands of years ago. And so we can get to chapter 10 and we know how it ended. But we've got to place ourselves in the moment, in the middle of the story with Esther. Remember young Esther was minding her own business in her own village with all of her other Jewish friends. And this wicked king sent out a decree because he had this tirade. He went into a fit about his wife, queen, the queen. And he removed the queen. And now he wanted a new queen. He was at that place of defeat. He had come home from war. There was no one to greet him, to gather with him, to celebrate with him. So he goes and finds Queen Esther. And what we would say is this, that really that moment in time was probably one of the first moments of sex slavery. And she was brought into that. And this is just a young girl in her probably mid to, to late teenage years being brought into this massive palace for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to please the king. So she goes into hiding. She doesn't want to tell this king that she's a Jew, and that's kind of where we've been. She's been in hiding, kind of doing her thing in the palace with the king, and yet remember her uncle, her father figure in her life, Mordecai, says to Queen Esther, he begins to hear rumblings about what's going on, and he says to to Queen Esther, hey, maybe this is the time that God has sent you into this land to free the people. Now, why would you say that? If you know where we're at in Jewish history, the Jews had been taken into exile. They were in slavery. And so Mordecai sees the sovereign hand of God and says, maybe, just maybe God wants to use you, Esther, to bring freedom to the people. We see that story play out over and over and over in the Old Testament, how God would use one person to free his people. Again, the Old Testament has been given to us by God to point us to the New Testament. Every story of the Old Testament is all pointing to one figure, that's Christ, in the New Testament. And what Christ came to do is fulfill the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament about? It's about God's people being in bondage to sin, and they had no way to freedom. And yet we see over and over again these figures of God using people to bring freedom to his people that will ultimately point to Christ to bring ultimate freedom to his people. And that's where we're at in the story. If you weren't with us a few weeks ago, where we're at was, here is this, uh, where we're at in chapter 7, was that there was this wicked man named Haman. Haman hated the Jews. We're going to get back to that here this morning. He hated the Jews because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And he says, not only am I going to destroy Mordecai, but I'm going to destroy all the Jewish people because I hate the Jewish people. He was the ultimate racist. And so if you know the story, Mordecai built this 75-foot pole to hang Mordecai in the middle of the city so all the Jewish people would see what their fate would be. And he sent out this decree that said that, said that I'm going to destroy you. And we'll see in chapter 3 and chapter 4, even this morning, where the Jewish people are at. That comes back. Uh, Esther, Queen Esther, has this party. And in this party, she goes to the king and says, hey, there's this plot against my uncle to kill him. And she reverses what was going to happen to her uncle, puts it on Mordecai. Here we are in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Mordecai is being hung for his evil ways. But here we are in chapter 8. Chapter 8. The people of God. Still have not been saved. They, they've been 
uh, the, the enemy, Haman, has been hung on the pole, and that's really where we're at. They're in the middle of, he's hanging on this pole, and that's where we come here to chapter 8. If you wanted to title this message, you could title it, From Rags to Riches. From Rags to Riches, we'll, we'll see what that means. That, that Haman, in this chapter 3, but it's going to become the riches of chapter 8, Mordecai in chapter 3, he's, we see him in what? Sackcloth and ashes. He's mourning the people. And at the end, we'll see he's no longer in rags, but he's in riches. Don't we love those kind of stories? We love the rags, the riches kind of stories. We're intrigued by them. I, I was reading uh, even one of our heroes here in Tennessee, rags to riches kind of story, Dolly Parton. She was a rags to riches kind of girl. She grew up in Appalachia with utter rags. And then all of a sudden, she gets famous, and now she's got stuff all over the place. She's wealthy. She's a rags-to-riches kind of story. And on and on we could go. That would be the story uh, that we come to today. Four things I want to look at this morning. Those four things are this. The reward, the request, the reversal, and the rejoicing. So look, let's look first. At the reward. Remember here we're at. Remember the fate of the Jews is that all of them would be destroyed. Even though Haman is sitting outside hanging from a pole dead. The, the edict that, that he had made the king sign was still this. That all the Jews would be annihilated. That didn't go away just because Haman was hanging from a pole. So the reward was this. He's hanging on a pole, verses 1 and 2. Here it comes from the rags to the riches part of the story. This is how it starts. It says, on that day, the day that Haman was hanging in just a few feet from the palace, King Asawaris gave Queen Esther the house of Haman. So in that moment, the, Haman is dead. Remember, Haman was the second in command. So he had a lot of stuff. He, he wasn't just some peasant that lived in a, a shanty in, in the middle of nowhere. He had a beautiful palace, and he had a, a lot of stuff. Think of it as he was the vice president of the greatest world power ever to be assembled. So he had a lot of stuff. And so here is the reward that the king gives all that over to Esther. This is Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king. For Esther had told him what he was to her. He wasn't just some guy that used to sit out by the gates having a conversation with Esther. This was Esther's remaining relative. And remember, what would have been true if they found out that they were Jews, they, they had the opportunity to kill him. And so Esther says to the king, he's not just this guy at the gate. He's basically my father. She pleads with the king on behalf of Mordecai. And look what the king does. The first reward is she, he gives everything to Esther. The second is this. And the king took off the signet ring. Remember the signet ring that he had given to Haman who sealed the fate of the Jewish people. And he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over all the house of Haman. 
So here's the reward. Here's where it goes from rags to riches. Remember, Mordecai had been in sackcloth and mourning for the Jewish people. And now he, here he is. The king gives him the signet ring. And in giving the signet ring, Esther comes along and says, all that the king had just given to me, now I give to you to manage. And it's all of your stuff. We see in chapter 10, in this moment, what happens? He becomes the second in command of all the land. He basically replaces Haman as the king's right-hand man. There is a reward for God's people. Again, if we had flipped back to chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, no one saw this coming. You couldn't have pinned this. Now again, we can read the story and we know the ending of the story, but Esther and, and Mordecai, they had no idea about the sovereignty of God, that God would do this in such a way to put Mordecai second in command of all the land. Remember, God is always at work to free his people. God is always at work to free his people. Even now in our lives, wherever you are and whatever's going on in your life, we know this to be true. God is at work to bring you freedom. That's what he says to us about Jesus. Jesus says this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but what I've come to give you life and life to the full. And you may not feel that this morning. You may not feel that you have a full life, but the promise from Jesus is that God is working out to bring you ultimate freedom. That's what we just sang a few moments ago. Do you believe that this morning? God is working in our midst. We know this to be true just in this passage as we look forward to the New Testament. There is a reward for all of us that are in Christ Jesus. All of us in this room, if you are a believer, there is a reward for you, both now in the present and in the future. The present reward for you is that you are liberated from sin. Praise God for that. But the reward for you to come is that you get to then, because of the reward you have now, because you've been set free from sin, you then, the reward will be for you and I and us as the church that we get to spend eternity with Christ Jesus in heaven forever and ever and ever. I could stop our sermon here and pray, and that's all we need to hear. But do we live out of that belief of the reward that Christ gave us as his ultimate act on the cross? Do we believe that this morning? Because if we believe that, I'm going to get all the way down to what we need to do in verses 15, 16, and 17 here in a moment. So that's the first reward. Do we believe that? Because that leads them to the second, the request. So here they are in position to bring ultimate healing, ultimate freedom to the people. And then in verse 3, the request, verses 3 through 8, then Esther spoke again to the king and she fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman. The plot that he had devised against the Jews and the king held out his golden scepter and Esther, she rose and stood before the king and she said, if it pleases the king and if I have found favor in his sight and if I have this thing that seems right before the king and if I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? 
Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? King Ahasuerus told the queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him in the, on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and the seal with it, the king's ring, the edict written in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Here's the request. The request that would be that there would be the freedom of the Jews. Think of that moment. Here is Mordecai. Here is Esther standing before the most powerful man in all the world. Her fate, his fate are in his hands. His fate is, their fate is this, that they would die. We know that would be true. We know that that edict is still in place, that the Jewish people would die. And look what Esther does. Look at her request. She doesn't say, hey, will you save me and will you save Mordecai? What does she say? Will you save my people? I can't bear to look at the calamity and the destruction that's going to come to my people. She doesn't beg for her own life. I wonder for us, church, when we have the request before a holy God, do we have the heart of Esther? Are we begging that God would spare the lives of those around us? Are we begging that God just spare our own lives? In that moment, Esther could have been super selfish. Esther could have said to the king, just spare me and just spare Mordecai. I don't care about my people, but her heart is so for the people of God. Is that true for us? When we, become, when we come and present our request before a holy God, what and who are we concerned about? I would submit you this this morning. Look at your prayer life. Is your prayer life mostly about you? Or is it mostly about other people? I'm not saying not to pray for yourself. But as the people of God, we must have a great concern for other people. Let's say this to us here at Pouch Chapel. How often are we praying for one another in this building? Are we pleading on behalf of God for the concerns of one another? Are we begging God that God would set us free? There's a lot of things happening in the life of this church. I don't have time nor the permission to sit here and bring those petitions before you. But there are so many concerns that are happening in this church. Marriages failing. People's lives being destroyed. And on and on and on I can go. Some that we know. Some that have been made public. Are we pleading with God on behalf of one another? Are we really concerned for the body? That has been a great conviction that God has placed on my heart as I've been studying this week. Are we pleading with God the way Esther pleaded for her people? So she pleads. And the king in his ignorance basically says, I can't do anything about it, but you can do something about it. 
which would have been true. Because in the Persian Empire, when the king put out an edict and stamped his approval on it, there was no way to reverse that. It would have been true for as long as the people lived. So he's like, I can't do anything. But what you can do is you can bring a place and you can override the edict that's already been put in place. And so as we go on now, here we go. We could call it the overriding plea or the reversal in verses 9 through 14. So the king gives permission to Haman and gives per, to Mordecai and to Esther to override the uh, previous edict that had been sent out. Now what I mean by that is that that, that first edict would have still been in place. So they had to devise a plan to put a trump card on top of it. How can this edict be true and yet we trump it with a, another edict? That's what happens in this place. If you read the, the new edict is this. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, on the tw- 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai had commanded concerning the Jews to the straps and the governors of the officials in the providence from India to Ethiopia, 127 providences, to each province, its own language and scribes, and each people its own language, and also to the Jews and their script and their language. And he wrote in the king in the name of the king and sealed it with the king's signet ring. And he sent the letter by mounted carriers riding swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud. So basically, here's the new edict, and it's being sent out as fast as possible. There's no delay on this new edict that's to go out to all the people. So they put the best Pony Express basically in place to get this edict to all 27 provinces as first as as fast as possible. Saying, and this is the new edict, saying that the king allows the Jews who were in every city to gather and to defend themselves. What does that mean? The first is this. The, The people of God have the freedom to come and gather and worship. So before then, they were always in great fear that if they had gathered, what would happen to them? They would die. And so now the new edict is, hey, you can come and you can worship. You see, that same edict is true for us. We live in a country that we have the freedom to gather. How come this place is not full to the brim? I think because we take our freedom for granted. I think we take our freedom and we are lazy with our freedom. We have men and women who served this country, that died for this country, so that we could have freedom to come and worship. We ought never, and I don't say this to shame you, to guilt you. I know we have a lot of things going on. But the people of America ought never miss a Sunday. Because of the freedom that we have, we have brothers and sisters all over the world that gather faithfully without the freedom that we have. The fastest growing church in the world is in China and in India, places they don't have the freedom to gather. So how is it that a place under such persecution gathers every Sunday and it's the fastest growing church in the world? Because they believe 
this to be true, that they can gather to celebrate on the Lord's Day with the people of God. My great fear and my great prayer is that God would not allow America to go through that kind of persecution. My fear is, though, that will happen to us. My fear is we're already beginning to see that happen to us. That our rights and our liberty to gather as God's people is coming under fire. We take gathering together in God's house serious. And then he says this, and that they would defend their lives. He says, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed forces of any people or providence that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the province, the king Asawaris, on the thir- 13th day of the, 23rd, the 20th month, which is the month of Adar, what, what basically was happening, the new decree is this. Remember, the old decree was this, on that certain day, that the people of God would be annihilated, destroyed. The same words are used in the first decree as the second decree. The same date is issued, and so now the new date that's been issued is to trump the old one. So they're saying, basically, if any of these people come to kill you, you have the freedom to defend yourselves as you gather to plunder them. And so now the new edict's been written, that you can defend yourself. You will not perish we'll see that in verse in chapter 9 next week and so that's the reversal the new order has been written again we can look and just spend time here in these few verses remember that there was an edict that was sent out we know that to be true in genesis we know that to be true throughout the whole old testament the wrath of god would be poured out on people that's the promise of god God said he will annihilate all people that are sinful. We saw this a few weeks ago. All of us in this room are sinful people. All of us, as Paul says, deserve death. But there's been a reversal to that edict. His name is Jesus. He's come and reversed the edict that God said he would promise on all people. And God went to send his son, Jesus, to the cross to reverse the the first edict, and now the new edict is in place. If you know him, you'll be spared by him. So the question is this, do you know him? So that you'll be spared by him. Because if you do not know him, you will not be spared by him, and you will spend eternity apart from Jesus. All that leads us to the last few verses. So we see the reward We see the request, we see the reversal, and what happens in verses 15, 16, and 17. It says this, that message went out to all the people in such a hurried way. All the people see it, all the people read it. And then it says this in verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in a royal robe of blue and white with a golden with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen of purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday 
And many from the people of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. The last thing that we see is this, the rejoicing. If you turn back to chapter 4, we see this in chapter 4 when that first edict was written and put in place throughout the land. It says this in chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. We see Mordecai in chapter 4 in utter disarray, mourning and weeping for the people of God. He's not in a royal robe. He's in rags, pleading and mourning for the people of God. Look at the Jews' response to that edict. It's in chapter 4, verse 3. In every providence throughout all the land, it says this. And in all the providence, wherever the king's command and the edict reached, there was what? Great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. There was great weeping, mourning, fasting, and lamenting. Now flip forward to chapter 8. Look at the difference between the two. Now we see Mordecai in the presence of the king, and now he's in a royal robe, rags to riches, because the king had put something on him. The king had put that on him, that he was the second in all of the command. He was no longer weeping. He was no longer mourning. But he was now what? And the people around him were rejoicing. Then just in a few verses in chapter 8, we see all the Jews. They're no longer mourning. Four things. They're no longer weeping, fasting, weeping, or lamenting. But what? They have light and gladness and joy and honor. The word light in the Old Testament is used over and over again as a word picture of prosperity. So here the people of God have been redeemed. And they what? Rejoice. And they're throwing a party. They have a holiday. They have a feast. They have gladness. They have joy. And they have honor to their name. And so for us this morning, in closing, as a way of application, for us, as we've been set free in our salvation, do we have light and gladness and joy, and honor. You see, if you know Christ this morning, you ought never be able to hide that from anybody. Do you walk around with prosperity? And I don't mean prosperity within money. I just mean the prosperity of the great riches that God has poured out onto you because of your salvation. Do you have gladness of heart? you have joy in your life even in the midst of your circumstances do you have honor and do you give honor you see as a way of application when we experience salvation and we live lives of light gladness and joy look what happens it's at the very end of 17 what happens is this there will be great salvation we will live lives of what the apostle paul says we will live evangel we will evangelize the lost people 
Evangelism will just pour out of us. Because it says this, that when they lived with light and gladness and joy and all the people everywhere saw this, what happened? The people of the country declared themselves Jews. They saw it and wanted what the Jews had. Do we, this church, you, a person of God, do you interact with the the world in such a way that people see your joy and your gladness and they want what you have? Are we living out our salvation with glad and joyful hearts? Do lost people hear all that God has done? Remember, we said this two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5. I said this last week in Matthew chapter 5 as well, that we do this and all that we do, we're the salt and light of the world. Why? We let our good deeds be on display so that they will all, what? Honor God and give glory to God, lost people included. How are we living our lives? Have you received the reward of Christ Jesus? Are you pleading on behalf of God's people for God's people? Are you basking and being reminded of the great reversal that's happened in your life? And do you rejoice in all of that this morning? Let me pray for us.